Whenever I'm honored to preach, uh, get invited to preach somewhere, I always feel led to give a word of encouragement. I used to go to my uh, Moody Bible Institute out here, and um, I remember when, when, when people would get invited to go and do pulpit supply, they would just do these messages where it seemed as if they, they beat up the congregation, and that seemed to be a cool thing to do, to be the young man that went in there and just started firing off at a bunch of people that you didn't know. And I think from time to time, I might have even done it myself. And then I started pastoring a church and somebody did it to me. And somebody came and just started shouting at my people. And um, I said, you don't even know these people. How dare you? I didn't like the way that it felt. And I promised the Lord at that time that if he should ever give me the opportunity to go and preach somewhere else, that I would go and bring a word of encouragement Specifically, the word is for encouragement to discouraged Christians. And I was shocked at what a large mission field that ended up being. Even an unwanted mission field. When we started planting our church, our goal was to only reach those who have not been reached with the gospel, who have never heard. We wanted to reach 100% conversion rate. We didn't want to see anybody coming over from other churches or anything like that. Well, we would actually, in the earliest days, I'd stand at the door and if I recognized somebody had been a Christian from another church, I'd say, thank you, I hope you enjoyed your worship experience with us. Um, Good luck finding a church And um, I went to a a conference, and the speaker was talking about the necessity to have just some good, solid Christians in your early core. And he's like, you know, this is how dumb I was early on. I would stand at the door, and when people that were Christians would come in, I'd say, good luck finding a church. It was nice to have you. And then they had a Q&A panel, and I raised my hand, and I said, Well, let's just say that maybe there was somebody that dumb in the audience. Um, What advice would you have for them? And he said, I I would tell them to stop it. And um, so, so we did. And the Lord started to bring this group of people who were battling discouragement. And I got to see something that has just become something I never knew I was so passionate about I got to see people just get re-sparked in their faith and get reinvigorated for Jesus. And people who had long-time previous faith in Jesus where that flame had become but a dull flicker, I got to see them become missionaries again for Jesus Christ. And boy, has that just sparked a passion in me. Um, I've been told at my church that I make an obligatory Braveheart reference each week. So since I'm not there, I need to make it here. I don't know how many of you have seen the movie Braveheart, but that movie got me so psyched up that when I went to go see it, and this movie is about four hours long, mind you, or three hours, however long it is. I saw it, and about two and a half hours into it, Something happened, and it, I don't know, the reels didn't work, and 
They said, excuse us, we've got a problem to fix. We'll give anybody their free tickets. And I came back and I sat and watched three more hours of Braveheart. And I liked it so much that I came back the next day. So in two days, I had nine hours of Braveheart in me. That movie just got me so excited. And 1 Kings chapter 18 is really the real life story of Braveheart. You've got this rugged warrior taking on an evil king and his evil henchmen and an evil empire fighting against his own countrymen. And, And how would we feel with, at the end, instead of Braveheart giving that famous freedom, you know that part? Well, instead of that, if he just went and hid in the woods and hid from Longshanks, and um, it would be anticlimactic at best, wouldn't it? Devastating at worst. Well, in the biblical Braveheart, right when the hero has his most triumphant victory, right after Elijah had gone up and destroyed all of the prophets of Baal up on top of Mount Carmel, in the very next scene we see him running away from the evil queen and hiding in the woods. And at first it kind of makes you pause because you don't expect it. It's odd. But as you allow the humanity of the character to begin to sink in, I think we can identify with Elijah, or at least I can. And there's a lot to learn from the story. Remember, when we read these stories, that these people are not superheroes. They are just like you and me. There is one superhero in the Bible, and his name is Jesus Christ. Period. So... I am really praying that if there is anybody here who's battling a spirit of discouragement, that this morning you would leave ministered to. So our first lesson on discouragement, what I'm going to share with you is four ways that we see discouragement play itself out in the life of Elijah and four ways that we see God working right alongside of him in the midst of of the the discouragement. And the first lesson we see right off the bat is that sometimes our greatest triumphs happen right on the heels, or our greatest discouragements happen right on the heels of our greatest triumphs. Look with me at chapter 19, verses 1 through 3. It says, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword And Jezebel sent the messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and he arose and he ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. So if you look at the end of chapter 18, Elijah had just defeated the predominant false religion of the day. The man just prayed, and for three and a half years, the nation of Israel, was the drought had ended through his prayers. And in the very last verse of chapter 18, it tells us, And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. 
But as chapter 18 ends and chapter 19 begins, something happens. The king and queen of Israel, Jezebel and Ahab, are upset about Elijah's exploits for the Lord. You see, they had gone all in on this Baal worship thing, and they were not very happy with Elijah's destruction of their whole religious system. And they were also not happy with Elijah being able to shut up the skies and cause it not to rain and to be able to cause it to rain because I'm sure in their carnal thinking what it said to them is this man is more powerful than the king and the queen. So in verse 2, Jezebel vows by those same false gods that were just defeated. Think about the logic on that. The same false gods that Elijah just mocked on chapter 18, just destroyed all the prophets. Of She says, I pray and I vow by those gods that I'm going to take Elijah's life. Just to make it clear what's going on, she's saying she will not give up until Elijah has been found and killed. And Elijah can't take it anymore. And he breaks in verse 3. Look, it says, And then he was afraid, and he arose, and he ran for his life. And the guy just takes off and goes running into the woods. I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like the way the story is supposed to go. If I wasn't familiar with this story, what I would think of if I had just read chapter 18 and I didn't know chapter 19, I would think he'd say something, by God's power, I just took on 450 of your mightiest prophets. Why do you think I would be afraid of you? And then I would think that there would be a showdown in the middle of the woods. And Elijah would destroy the rest of the remnant of the wicked king and queen. And destroy the rest of the remnant of Baal worship. But that's not the way that it happens at all. This rugged and godly man who had only just days earlier been so mighty was now running from Jezebel and cowering and hiding in the woods. This man who had looked fearless in chapter 18 is hiding in a cave by chapter 19. And it leaves you this sort of tension that makes you kind of scratch your head. And this is why I love the Bible. It's so real. I mean, it it puts a tension like this and it doesn't feel the need to resolve it for you. It puts it in there for you so that you can see the humanity of these people. And the first lesson we see on discouragement comes right from this text that sometimes people are most susceptible to discouragement on the heels of our greatest triumphs. And I think there's all kinds of spiritual lessons that you could get into about spiritual warfare. But I'm just going to give you really practical one. I don't think that people are expecting to be discouraged at the moment of their encouragement. People are not expecting for a valley to come to them when they've been on a mountaintop. Have any of you ever come, gone on a retreat 
and you just got like that feeling like, man, Jesus is just like so close that it's just like I'm just chatting with him on the way home from the retreat. And you've got your Jesus muscles going and then you get home and man, there's just like a voicemail waiting for you or there's some news waiting for you. And you went from super high, just riding that wave to super low so quick. And it's just you weren't expecting it. It takes you off guard. I mean, talk about coming down from a mountaintop. He literally just came down from a mountaintop. And then wham, he gets smacked right between the eyes and he can't process it. It's too much for him. And I'm curious, have you ever been there? Where you just experienced Jesus in such an intimate way? Or maybe you just took a step of faith for the Lord. Or maybe you just had some sort of victory or some sort of blessing in your life. But whatever it is, you know that that thing was so real to you. And then immediately, right after, you get whacked. And it's hard to process. Because it's like all the air got let out of the balloon at once. And if you've ever been there, you can understand Elijah's discouragement. If you're in a season like that right now, hopefully as we go through this passage, you can find some hope through the ways that God deals with Elijah in his time in despair. Before I get into that, we're going to see a second lesson from Elijah's discouragement. Look with me at verses 4-10. through It says, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under the broom tree, And he asked that he might die, saying, it's enough. Now, Lord, take away my life, for I'm no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. And he looked and behold, and there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water and he ate and he drank and he lay down again and the angel of the Lord came again and a second time touched him and said arise and eat for he touched him and said arise and eat this journey is too great for you and he arose and he ate and he drank and he went in the strength of that for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb the mount of God And there he came to a cave and he lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said to the Lord, the God of hosts, For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars. They've killed your prophets with the sword. And I, only I, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. So the second lesson that we see from our text is sometimes our greatest times of discouragement come because we can't understand why God would allow bad things to happen when we're trying to do our best to be faithful to what God has called us to. I mean, at this point, Elijah is just done. He's literally ready to give up and to throw in the towel. In verse 4, he actually asks God to kill him. And at the end 
of the verse, he looks back at the prophets who were martyred before him and he says, Lord, can I just go join them? What's so different about them and I, Lord? How discouraged do you have to be to be in a place like that? Have any of you ever been there? Elijah, at this moment, is in the very pit of despair. And in verse 4, we see Elijah's fundamental reason for his discouragement. He just can't believe that God would allow all of this when he had been so faithful to serve him with everything he had. He's saying, Lord, how could you do this to me? I've been so faithful to give you everything that I have. I would say that from both my personal life and from the time I spend counseling with people, this discouragement is the hardest for people to be able to process. Have you ever been there? I know that I have. I remember eight years ago, we were recovering from a tremendous time of grief. We had just had a stillborn daughter and my wife was just a broken shell of herself. And in the middle of that, I was wanting to prepare to plant a church. And we began to be attacked in ways that I had never been attacked before and I didn't expect where the attacks were coming from. They were coming at me from places and players that I thought were on the same team as us. And then my health began to deteriorate and they found a brain tumor and I, th- I started having these migraines every single day and I would throw up to begin the day, throw up to end the day and all throughout the day. And I can remember that I was being asked to go and preach at a youth conference and I was in the car and I'm on my way to preach at this conference and I'm having to pull over on the side of the freeway in Florida, every couple of miles just to vomit some more because the migraines were killing me so much to where I just started crying and screaming in between the tears. God, I'm here giving you all that I have and you're killing me. Enough is enough. Relax your hand. You say in the Psalms that you know our frame and that our frame is but dust. Yet you continue to just crush. I'm broken. Are you happy now? Is this what you wanted, Lord? I'm not proud of it. It was, it was not a high mark of my sanctification. I've read some Psalms that it sounds an awful lot like. But I'm not proud of it. I'm just telling you the truth. But it's one of the reasons why I actually named my son Elijah. Because I've been to the place where Elijah is at in this story. I can identify. It's, it's a depth of discouragement that I can't describe, but you know it if you've experienced. It's tough to go all in for Jesus and then watch your life deteriorate at the same time. It's tough to say, I'm going to give my entire life for the sake of the Gospel and to realize that that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have an easy life in this life. And have you ever been there? Let me point out something to you real quick. 
when you look back at verses 5 through 9, it's all about God's provision in the midst of this. But Elijah is so discouraged that he can't even see it. If you look at verse 5, God is actually sending angelic messengers to strengthen him along the way. And in verses 6 through 8, God is miraculously sustaining him and feeding him through angelic visitation. And Elijah is so discouraged that he can't even see what God is doing. I want you to just stop. Take note of that for a moment. That in the midst of this deep discouragement and despair, in this verse and some other verses like it that we're going to hit on before I close, you see the hand of God laced throughout the entire story when you look from the vantage point that we're able to see. But there have been some times where Elijah was. I think if we're honest, I know there have been times where I have been so deeply discouraged that it felt like God was completely absent in the middle of the situation, only to look back and see, wow, God, you were sustaining me the whole time, and I did not know. Wow, God, you were feeding me cakes that I did not even know about. You were meeting my needs in miraculous ways, and I was oblivious. I've got to tell you, this is where I want to get in my sanctification. A place of confidence where I learn not to doubt because God has shown up faithful on so many occasions. Every single time... I've ever been brought low. I've been able to come out. I'm still standing here today, right? Every single time you've ever been brought low, you still have breath in your lungs today, don't you? But man, how many times has it felt like, Lord, this is going to be the one that takes me out? This is going to, I know that you've been faithful so many times before. But this time feels like it's going to be the time where I need to just figure this all out in my own strength because it just doesn't seem like it's going to be working. I want to get to the place in my sanctification where I say God has never let me down any one of those times, so he's not about to yet. Amen? And there have been times where you just look back and you see that while you thought he was absent, he was weaving something together, a tapestry that you couldn't even imagine. I want to become a man that trusts that God can see the end, even when there's no end in sight for me. And brothers and sisters, you're who I want to speak to. If you're in something where there's just no end in sight to it right now, you're going through a season where, man, the only light at the end of the tunnel seems like it's an oncoming train. I want to tell you, I want to encourage you that every single time God has been there and His faithful character will continue to manifest itself. But let's move on to the third lesson that we see from Elijah's discouragement, that sometimes in the midst of discouragement, when we need to hear from God the most, 
can be the times when we have the hardest time to discern His voice. This is the point that ministers to me the most. So if you've fallen asleep, I would encourage you wake back up for five minutes because this point will be worth the price of admission. And He said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rock before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind and an earthquake, the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? So God goes and tells him, Stand out on the edge of this mountain, Elijah. And then he hears three cataclysmic events. There's this hurricane. There's this great wind. There's an earthquake. There's a fire. I mean, imagine being told by God, you need to hear a word from Him. You're told, go out and stand there. And you start to hear these massive events. It would be easy if you were Elijah to think, this must be you, Lord. You told me to go out there. I'm seeing something outrageous happening right now. This must be you. Only to be told after all three of them that the Lord was not in these things. What do you think that was like for Elijah? Use imagination when you read your Bibles. This guy needs to hear a word from the Lord more now than ever. You ever been there where you're just you're praying, you're saying, God, I really need the answer on this. I've been praying on this for a while. I really, really need the answer. And then add to the confusion to it that Elijah had never struggled hearing from the Lord before. If you look through the account of Elijah from previous, it seemed as if he had a direct pipeline to God. And whenever he prayed, it seemed as if answers were pretty easy to come by. If I was there, you know what I would be thinking? God, this is really confusing. I don't really care about the things that you're not in. Why are you out putting me on a cliff just to show me a bunch of things that you're not involved in? I need to hear a word from Jesus. I don't need to hear a bunch of things that you're not in. And that's what causes people to start to grasp at straws and to say, oh, maybe Jesus is over here. Or maybe Jesus is over here. Or maybe it's just that I don't have the right people praying for me, so I need to go to this prayer meeting. Or maybe it's that I'm not reading this book, so I go over to Barnes & Noble. It's doing the same thing that Elijah was. Are you in the earthquake? Are you in the fire? Are you in the cataclysmic events this is confusing i need to hear jesus but i think that's the whole point when you're battling discouragement we look for god to show himself by some great sign just to show you that he's still there but verse 12 says that god ends up appearing in a gentle blowing or as the esv translates it a low whisper i think the point of the whisper 
is that a sovereign, omnipresent God doesn't have to do anything to be there in the midst of your situation because He was there the whole time. Sometimes when we're in the midst of the discouragement, we're so erratic that we forget to listen to Him. So we're saying, oh, we need to hear it in some kind of loud, audacious sort of way. Or we start to grasp at straws and hope to find Him in the hurricane, to find Him in the earthquake. And the reality is God never stops speaking even for a moment. I think that's something that we need to be reminded of from time to time. Especially in the midst of discouragement. Man, you need to have a buddy or your spouse. My co-pastor is great at this. When I'm just running in circles and I think, you know what, the answer's got to be around here. So I'm just going to keep running and running. And he stops me. He says, Eric, let's stop. Let's pray. You don't have to run in circles to try to find him. He's here. The entire time. Which brings me to my final lesson on discouragement from the story of Elijah. That sometimes discouragement leads us to believe that we're fighting the battle all alone. Look again at verses 13 and 14. And it says, And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and stood at the entrance. (coughs) And behold, there came a voice. What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars. They've killed your prophets with the sword. And I, only I am left. And they seek my life to take it away too. <coughs> I love how God deals with Elijah here. Just like he did when he walked the earth in the person of Jesus Christ. He cuts right to the heart in verse 13. He basically says to him, Elijah, what's going on? Let's get to the heart of your discouragement. Why are you in the place that you're in right now? By the way, that is a great question to ask yourself if you find yourself spinning out of control. Just stop and ask yourself, what are you doing? How did you get here? Why are you here? What's at the heart of this? Because it's usually going to go so much deeper than what you're feeling on the surface, isn't it? And in verse 14, Elijah gets to the heart of it. He says, I feel alone. He repeats three different ways. He says, God, I, only I, I alone am left. I'm just going to encourage you that if you're in a rough place and you're using the word I that often, that might be something to do with it. You guys know the trinity of stupidity, right? I, me, and my. So, that's, he's saying I, I, that's me. I mean, me, 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 I, 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 Lord. Have you been there in the midst of discouragement where you begin to feel that you're in this whole thing all by yourself? I know I have been. Where you feel beaten down. You feel isolated like no one else would understand. So why bother even sharing your struggles? 
If there's anybody who came here this morning, I want to encourage you. You came to the place to share your struggles. You do not have to leave with them. One of the greatest tricks of the enemy is to keep somebody in the place of discouragement by isolating them. And you see right here, he's had years and years and years of practice. And if he has you in that place, he has you exactly where he wants you. And he is a master when he has you in that place. And in a few moments, we're going to look at how God responds to Elijah in this as I wrap up. But we've seen discouragement from Elijah's perspective. Now as we close, I want to look at four lessons on discouragement from God's eyes and God's perspective. And all of these come right out and right alongside of what Elijah was going through the entire time. And you can see them in our text, even though Elijah can't. <clears throat> so we have four lessons to look at on God's faithfulness. First, God will continue to give you what you need in the midst of your discouragement. I don't know about you, but I struggle with condemnation, especially during times of failure. That's, that's probably my biggest struggle as a Christian. So much so that I actually in Greek got... There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus tattooed because I need to be able to look at guns and be reminded of that from time to time because condemnation is something that man, I wrestle with so much. So if I was the guy in this story, and I have been, I would expect God to say, okay, if this is the sniveling little baby that you're going to act like, then I'm done with you. But God's not like that. He's so gracious. He is so merciful. He doesn't ridicule Elijah. He doesn't pick on him for struggling with fear. You know what God does? He bakes him a cake. Look at verses 6 to 8. I mean, he really does. He says, I'm, I'm going to bake you a cake. I think that's pretty cool. God knew what Elijah could handle and what he couldn't. And he knew that he would need strength for the journey ahead of him. So God strengthened them. And Elijah didn't even realize that it was God that was doing the strengthening and the sustaining in the middle of the discouragement. Friends, I want to encourage you, if you are going through it right now, you can trust in God's character. He is sustaining you in ways that you don't know. He has not abandoned you or forsaken you. He never will abandon you or forsake you. In fact, He is feeding you in ways just like He was feeding Elijah in ways that you probably do not know and you can't notice in this season until you look back on it. Has that ever happened to anybody? You know as the poem goes, you look back and you realize that it was just one set of footprints and it was not yours. The second way that God deals with Elijah and his discouragement is that he tells him, you still have work to do. Look at verses 15 through 17. It says, And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazel, king of Syria, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, and you shall anoint the king of Israel, and so on and so forth. You might think you still have work to do. How's that supposed to be encouraging? Well, let me ask you, have any of you ever failed to the degree where you say, how could God use a broken sinner like me? I know I have. 
In times where I've failed, I've doubted so much that God could restore me or use me. I remember having this experience when I first came to Jesus. I was somebody that got saved out of a really rough background. I had just gotten out of jail and I had just gotten out of rehab. And some of my old friends called me up and said, Hey, I, I heard that you're born again now. And I was working in the shipyards. And I remember I was sitting underneath this boat, scraping barnacles off of the boats, talking on the cell phone. And I was like, uh, born again? Oh, no, no, man. I, I'm just getting, getting my life together. And I hung up the phone, and I cried so hard. And I said, I'm Peter, and I've denied my Lord. I remember trying to plant my first church and stepping out and realizing I did it completely in my own strength and I fell flat on my face and I took a bunch of people with me and I again failed and I thought, how could the Lord possibly use me? Well, imagine what must have been going through Elijah's mind if he's so discouraged that he thinks that God is absolutely through with them and in the middle of it, God says... Get up and eat. You got a job to do, boy. Man, can you think of anything more encouraging? God says, you still have a job to do, Elijah. I have confidence that you are the right guy to do it. As a matter of fact, I am breaking you specifically to be able to do the job in ways that you could not do if I was not breaking you down in this unique way. Man, I'm going to provide the strength for you to rebound and move forward. I want to encourage if you failed in any kind of way where you feel like you could not be used by the Lord, arise, get up, and eat. You have work to do. God still has a job for you. This has been one of the most unexpected but glorious fruits we've seen so far in planting a church we have had some bruised people one of the verses that i've had to just hang on to is a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out because it seems as if god keeps bringing smoldering wicks into our congregation only to see jesus get really big to them again Man, how awesome it is to see somebody come limping through the door saying, I remember when I used to be a part of this church and 20 years ago, man, my Christianity was, was so intimate and, and, and uh, it's been fluttering and it, it's been sputtering. And then you start to see Jesus become everything to them again. You start to see Jesus become resident president. You start to see that Jesus is not just their something. He's their everything all over again. And it's beautiful. Man, if there's anyone here that's been battling, I just want to ask you a question. Do you believe that Jesus can be big to you again? Do you believe that Jesus can be your everything again? The third lesson for us to grasp and how God dealt with Elijah is you do not have to try to grasp for God in the midst of a discouraging time. He will reveal himself to you. For me, that was probably the biggest lesson that I needed to learn. So often when I'm struggling with discouragement, I want to be sure. I want an earthquake. I want 
a hurricane or some mighty way so I could be sure. So you go looking for God under every single rock, trying to remember where you found Him the last time. God's not far from you. He's not forgotten you. He's not moved on to somebody else. You are not broken. And what I mean is you are not flying under God's radar where He is somehow unaware of you. He will reveal Himself to you. And the reality is, much like Elijah, He might be revealing Himself to you already. But you might need to slow down and listen for the whisper. And the last and final lesson is you are not alone. Right after Elijah deals, uh, tells God how alone he feels, God gives him this bit of news. Look at verse 18. It says, And yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Not only are you not alone, but there's 7,000 more who are with you on this journey, Elijah. That's one of the reasons why I'm here today, brothers and sisters, to share that we're part of a network. You guys aren't alone. We're not independent. You guys are part of a group of 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. And it's an honor to be able to be here with you guys and to know that you're part of that journey for me. Thank you. Thank you for being part of those prayer warriors and part of that prayerful group. And in the very next paragraph, we see that Elijah actually meets his best friend. Isn't context a beautiful thing in the Bible? That's when Elisha comes into the story. Right after he says, I'm so alone. I, even I, I am the only one left. Well, how about I bring you your best friend, Elijah? The only reason that we would be alone is if we've allowed discouragement to make us do what Elijah did and to cause us to move into isolation, which is why the writer of Hebrews says he gives you two critical words. He says, do not forsake the assembling together and encourage one another day after day as long as it's still called today, lest any of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin because he knows that our hearts trend towards isolation and discouragement and he knows how frail we are and that we're designed to need the body of Christ. So if you're here and you come here with discouragement in your heart, the body of Christ is here for you. And God has given you a special, beautiful church. If you're here and you're... If you're going to be a body that gets real, I encourage you to have meaningful relationships where you don't just put on your Sunday best, but you say, what that guy spoke about, that was me this morning. I was that discouraged person. Sometimes the greatest gift that you can share with somebody is your own brokenness and allowing them to enter in. There are people here who would love to pray with you and bake you a cake if you would allow them. Let me pray. God, thank you for your holy and anointed scripture. I pray for any discouraged amongst us, Lord. I pray that you would meet their needs in ways that go so far beyond anything that they could know or ask or think. In Jesus' name, amen.